Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome back to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. Appreciate you coming by. As always, we get the business out of the way first. Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help out, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on Facebook. Tell a friend, share on social media. Speaking of social media, please give us a follow on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots in. Happy Thursday morning, everyone. I'll tell you right now, who's not having a happy Thursday is pretty much anybody in the Philadelphia Flyers organization right now. Good God, they cleaned house. First, it was Ron Hextall. Then it was Gordon Murphy and a bunch of Hextall, quote unquote, guys. I know things aren't going well. And when things aren't going well, you, of course, have to mix things up. I think they're last in their division. But I don't think I could remember seeing like a mass firing like this in a long time because usually you'll see a GM go and you might see a coach go. But it seemed like not only did the GM go, but several of his guys went as well. But they ended up keeping the head coach Hackstall on, which kind of surprised me. I would have thought they would have gotten rid of him as well because this team really hasn't performed. But somebody must be impressed in management, whether it be Paul Holmgren, the president, or whomever it may be. But I personally am surprised they kept him just because the rebuild, I feel like, has been talked about in Philadelphia now for 10 years. When are they going to actually do it? With all that said, keep in mind, take this with a grain of salt. I'm not a Philadelphia Flyers guy. I never have been, never will be. It just seems like they've been trying to rebuild for years. So it doesn't surprise me to see a lot of changes. The next question, though, is who's going to be the replacement for Ron Hextall? And I've got my money on two guys. I either think it's going to be Chris Pronger, who's working down in Florida, a former flyer, or I think it's going to be another former flyer, Daniel Breer, who's headed up the Maine Mariners, their ECHL affiliate, and done a wonderful job. Daniel already lives in the area. He doesn't have to move his family, if I'm not mistaken. I think his kids play youth hockey in the area. So I'm really going with one of those guys. I, I think that's what my gut says. I did email Brad Marsh, who does work for the organization, and asked him if he was going to be the new GM. After all, we had Brad on the show. And you can, of course, listen to that in our archives on iTunes or at snapshotsinhockeyhistory.com. Brad didn't write back. So heck, maybe it could be Brad Marsh. I don't know. But I'm thinking it's going to be either Chris Pronger or it's going to be Daniel Breer. Moving on to today's episode, though, we got part two of our interview with Rob DeMaio in part one, just to refresh everybody's memory. Rob talked about kind of the formation of the Tampa Bay Lightning, what training camp was like, playing in the preseason, getting body slammed by Eric Lindros. So some good stories for sure. And part two starts with talking about Basil McRae, who was one of his teammates. During this interview, we also talk a little bit about the LA Kings. And the LA Kings in the early 90s were one of the more popular teams. And he talked about the Forum Club, which was a club that was in the LA Forum, where after games, people would hang out. And he talks about running into celebrities and things like that. You know, the guy that owned the team at that time, Bruce McNall, was such a character. And he's a guy I'd really love to interview because he's really the one that was responsible for bringing Gretzky to L.A. And everybody credits Gary Bettman with expanding the NHL to the southern states and things along those lines. But Bruce McNall was the first guy that really saw the vision for it. Because L.A. at the time, in the 70s and in the early 80s, was not a hockey hotbed by any means. 
But he wanted to bring in Wayne Gretzky because his idea, his thought was, if I can get the top superstar there, I can get the media, I can get everybody to come in to see him. It will only grow the game. And, and he was absolutely right for the most part. Granted, he did commit some serious crimes and did spend some time in jail, which you can read about in his book, which was called Fun While It Lasted. I remember reading it as a kid, and it's it's still one of the few books that I actually still have from when I was a kid because I like to go back and read it every now and then. His story is pretty fascinating and pretty insightful. That's just one of the topics that Rob talks about during part two of the interview. Anyways, let's get in the time machine, go back to the 1992-93 season, and relive the inaugural season of the Tampa Bay Lightning with Rob DeMaio. Of, of other guys to see around basil mccray i think came in with a leadership role and and you know he went down do you remember when he fought Stu grimson uh yeah i vaguely remember it i do remember that that, that he broke his leg and that 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 um yeah i remember he was he was not i mean he, he, nobody's happy if that something like that happens but i just remember you know he was he was broken down pretty good and and that was a sad day because baz is a probably ultimate teammate and you know He'd, he'd have your back no matter what. And now we lose him, who was an important part of our team, leadership-wise, for sure. That's exactly where I was going with that, is I, I kind of wanted to hear about Basil as a, um, a a teammate. And I know that he had been in the league with Minnesota and had some years where he had some major penalty minutes. And I would picture that he was a, one of the leaders for the Lightning at the time. Yeah, he came in, and he, for sure, for sure, I mean, you know, had that role and and you know, between him and Rob Ramage, guys like that, 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 that were, you know, established NHL guys, just had a persona about him. And, and Baz was, you know, just a, just a super hand. I, and he's another guy that I see a lot uh, currently and, and hasn't changed at all. You know, a very personable guy, very, you know, you know, give you the shirt off his back if, if, if you needed it. And he's, he's that type of guy. And, and like we had a, we had a number of those kind of guys on our team that, that, and we're kind of, you know, like that good teammates, good, just, just good people that, that, that you wanted around. So moving forward, we're not going to go through every game, game by game. I'm just going to hit up a couple of the highlights okay. real quick. There That's is okay. one game on October 15th. I do want to touch on it's in Toronto. You guys end up losing this game, but you are on a five game point streak and Phil Esposito and Bob McKenzie get into it in the locker room and they're separated by players. Do you remember or know, have any idea what this was all about? I don't. This is a gal. I don't know. No, I have no idea. Do you? It was... Uh, you can fill me in. Yeah, supposedly Bob McKenzie had written some stuff about Phil Esposito, and he came in, and uh, Phil punched him in the back of the head when he was in there. Or He told him to get out, and Bob said no, and then Phil punched him in the back of the head, and they kind of got into a legal battle, and that's what I, mean, I know about it. Is that right? Yeah. I can't help on this one. I don't know. Hey, I mean, you think I would have known that, but I, I, I didn't know anything about that. Shortly after this time, Roman Hammerlick makes his NHL appearance, and you've talked a little bit about Roman. What was your relationship yeah. like with him? Well, he didn't speak very good English at the time, uh, but Roman was a what a good kid, you know, like first overall pick, and just uh, comes in with easy, you know, just an easygoing personality, like a lot of those. Uh, Czech guys were. I mean, he just wanted to play the game. I never saw a guy come on. He'd stay on the ice for hours after practice. Like he just never wanted to come off. And but you know, a young kid comes in, real talented. You know, had to learn the game north in North America for the most part. But uh, you could see his skill and you could see his ability. Um, the good thing about Roman is that he just uh, he wanted to be a player, and you know, he had a great career. 
but it all started out with, you know, coming to a place where I think a lot of the veteran guys around helped him and, you know, allowed him to, uh, to grow as a player. Was there anybody that took him under their wing? I know the language barrier had to be tough and, and being away from home. I know that, not sure if it was, uh, it wasn't Doug Crossman. It could have been Rob Ramage, which helped him out a little bit. Um, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure a hundred percent. I mean, I, I was around him a lot and I can mean me, Rob Zammer, some of the younger guys, you know, not that we took him under our wing because we were young guys ourselves, but you know, I just remember Roman, like he just, just an easy going personality. That's what he was. November 4th comes around the Tampa Bay lightning, make a trade. They trade Antoli Semenov from the team and he ends up going up. Uh, I can't remember where he got traded to, but it seemed like, there were high expectations for him. And do you recall if he wanted to be there or if it just seems like things didn't work for him? Yeah, I, I think, I think he wanted to be there. I'm not sure what happened. I mean, I, I don't know how many games he played. He only played like 10 or 12 games or something like yeah, that. It wasn't Tampa a lot. And, and, and then he, then he was gone. Yeah. I liked, uh, uh, he's another guy I actually see every once in a while. Um, but we called him Sammy and he was, you know, really talented player. I mean, I, I started the season and he was on my line actually. And, and great hands, great skill, typical Russian, you know, just, you know, real smooth and, uh, um, and a good guy, like, you know, right. I don't know what the, the, the reason was behind, behind the trade, but I think they were just, they were looking at every option just to, to either, you know, get more draft picks or, you know, get somebody in that, that, that was maybe younger or something, you know, to a team that, that maybe needed somebody that uh, with his skill set. I'm not sure. Moving forward, the end of November rolls around, and you guys have developed two great goal scorers on the team. Brian Bradley has 16 goals, and Chris Contos has 19. What was your relationship like with these two guys? Good. Uh, Brad's is, uh, you know, both both were good. I mean, you know, they're they're new teammates for me. So, like I said, I hung out more with the younger guys, and uh, they were married, both of them. So, you know, other than you know being at practice and playing the games, not much social interaction with those two. But good teammates, I, I can tell you that. Around this time, you're kind of beaten up at this point. You had a back injury, you had a wrist injury. Was this the first time in your career where you were really beaten up like this? You know, at my early. NHL career, I uh, I had, you know, I don't know if it was the way I played or I had to try to establish myself, but I had I had a number of serious injuries that you know I broke my ankle in Tampa in a fight with Denny Vial that my my skate got caught in a rut and he twisted me and it just spiral fractured my 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 leg and oh, so that was a tough one and then I had a bunch of wrist things I had all kinds of injuries early on in my career, which if I, if I stayed healthy, I probably would have played around 1200 games or so. But wow. at the start, it was, yeah, it was a tough goal for me at the start for sure. How hard did Dennis Vial punch? I mean, I can't, I imagine it's like getting hit by like a, a freight train. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Tough guy for sure. Real tough guy. I mean, yeah, he hits pretty hard. I think. Yeah. There, there are a lot of guys in the league at that time. You know, that's the game was different back then, that's for sure. And and the tough guys were real tough guys and they fought a lot. And uh it's not like today where, you know, that that, that part of the game has kind of been taken out back then. It's every team had, you know, two or three of them and 
and that's just the way the game was back then. Did you ever see the hacksaws to the helmets or anything like that, or guys tightening their sweaters so people couldn't get a grip? I know there's a story about Stu Grimson. I think he had his, it was either he, he was fighting somebody that had their sweater sewed extra tight, and that way they couldn't let go, and then he just brought his arm up and punched the heck out of him. Did you ever see anything yeah. like that? Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. The guys had, like, some guys in warm-up would go to the, the penalty box and put Vaseline underneath the, the bench because they knew that they were going to fight coming out of the penalty box with somebody, so they had Vaseline, and they'd put it on their face, which you weren't supposed to do. Some guys just had, you know, pull-away sweaters, jerseys, that, that as soon as you grabbed onto it, you know, he'd slip right out of it, which is you can't do anymore today. Like the, the it, everything's changed now. The way and that part of the game is out of it now. But yeah, guys. Oh yeah, guys had especially the tough guys. You know, whatever advantage they could gain, they 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 would try. Um, whether it's you know a tight jersey or a very loose jersey, you know, chin straps on your your helmet were were loose that your helmet would come off that you wouldn't have to worry about your helmet getting in the way of something. Yeah, little things like that, that 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 was certainly prevalent back then. Is there anybody anybody you scrapped with? You know, I mentioned Dennis Vial, and you said, yeah, I kind of guess he hit hard. Was there anybody that you fought, you went, man, that guy is tough? <laughs> I got to go back. Uh, uh, Joey Kosher, scary, scary tough guy, you know, hit so hard. Um, I saw him one time in a fight in New York when I played with the Islanders. He fought, fought Brad Delgarno, and... Um, Brad is a super guy, but I thought that, you know, he his face was caved in. Like, he, he oh. broke his orbital bone just from one punch. Like, he, he hit so hard. And he's the one guy that, that scared me. I fought Stu Grimson once. He was a tough guy. Like, there were so many guys. Ty Domi fought, like, a tough guy. You know, who, exceptionally tough. Like, the, the, the one guy that did scare me was Joey Kosher. And oh. I never did fight him. So, oh. good thing on my part. I was going to say, I think you were smart on that one. Moving forward, yeah. we're a quarter of the way through the season. And one of the things is you're 10, 15, and 2. So you're 5 under 500. But one of the things is you've lost 10 games by just one goal. How frustrated are you guys in the locker room? It seems like this record should be at least 500. Yeah, we were, we, we always talk. Like, the talk, I remember Terry, Terry and, and the coaching staff with, with Wayne Cashman is just that, you know, stay close in games. You know, always be competitive, and you know we get breaks here, or there. We'll get breaks. Sometimes it won't go for you. Sometimes it, it will. But as long as we stay competitive and and we fight to the end, then you're not going to win them all, but you're not going to lose them all either. And it, it, the closer you are, the more chance you have of winning. And and that's kind of the way we approached every game. Like just to, I don't know if it was a fear of of getting blown out of games, but um, for the most part, you know, like you said, we were in. 95% of the games that we played. You play the Kings on December 15th. The Lightning give Rob Stauber his first loss of the season. And LA at the time is kind of a, it had to be an interesting place to play. You're playing in the forum. I know Gretzky was hurt during this game, but what kind of excitement was there on the West Coast? They had an, an owner, Bruce McNall, who, I don't know if you heard any Bruce McNall stories, but was supposedly a real character. What was L.A. like at that time? Yeah, L.A. was was really the, the place to be with Gretz being there. And, you know, the hockey world, that's another place, you know, that, that the league wanted to, you know, establish in the Sun Belt and, you know, L.A., uh, Hollywood and, and that whole thing. And there was just an aura about the game. I mean, 
a lot of you know a lot of movie stars in in the stands at that time. A lot of excitement built up around Wayne and 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 the L.A. Kings and and Bruce. You know, again, you know, understood what what it meant to have a guy like Wayne Gretzky in that in that type of a market, and it worked. And you know, the game really grew from there. And you know, fun place to to visit for sure as 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 a visiting team. I mean, kind of. You see all the people in the stands, and you're like, "Yeah, this is actually really cool." <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys get to go out on off days, head down to Malibu? Oh yeah, the beach? yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that back then it was different, you know. Like you'd, you'd stay overnight everywhere. You didn't charter. I mean, you you're on commercial flights, so you have to stay the night. You're and so you know, the Forum Club was 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 the place that that most of the guys went right after the game, right in in the Forum. Which was a which is a real neat spot, you know, and get to see a lot of different people in there. That's for sure. And I remember that. I remember, and, and I think, you know, for the most part, most of the guys, you know, would poke their head in there, and uh, and then wherever you'd go from there. I mean, it was, uh, but that 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 again was a different time too. So, did you see anybody in the forum club that kind of blew you away from Hollywood? I just I remember Kurt Russell was in there, oh, yeah. and, and his wife. Saw Arnold Schwarzenegger once in, in there. Yeah, those are probably the two. I mean, there's always people kicking around. But, uh, yeah, those are the two that I remember the most. So the bench boss for the Kings at the time was Barry Melrose. And I know that Barry had a huge influence on you in junior. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. your relationship with Barry Melrose? I mean, everybody knows him now for his great mullet on ESPN. Yeah, Barry came into into Medicine Hat where I played junior for, for one year. And uh, we won a Memorial Cup with him as the as the coach. It was uh, it was this, we, we won back to back Memorial Cups, and he was the second that that came in. And and you know Barry was a you know interesting guy. You know, like very very fun guy to be around, but very serious when it came to to, mm-hmm. to coaching. You know, former player. You know, tough guy. And uh, you know Barry was. You know, he he made a great career for himself in 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 the hockey world. Once once he got to once he got to L.A. and maybe the coaching career didn't last as long as he wanted, but I think he found his calling afterward with ESPN and being around the game and still around the game today, which is which is really impressive. Speaking of coaches, we've touched on a little bit Wayne Cashman and Terry Crisp. What were these guys like as coaches for you? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, Crispy was uh, Crispy. You know, there's, there's, you know, talk about personalities. I mean, you know, very loud, you know, very to the point, you know, sometimes would say things that, that he probably shouldn't have and maybe regret it afterwards, but, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve and very emotional behind the bench. And Cash was really a quiet guy, but demanded so much respect that, you know, Wayne Cashman was a guy that, that, I'll never forget the day I got traded uh, from Tampa. Terry and, and, and Wayne called me into their office and, you know, Wayne had a tear in his eye and he was in, and upset that, that, that they traded me. And so to this day, um, no, nobody actually knows this story, but, you know, Wayne Cashman had tears in his eyes because I, I was traded. Oh, and, wow. you know, that that's a story for me that it's something that I, I'll never forget because that that was the that made me emotional at the time and and because we went through so much as a young group and you know you start something from scratch and and you're a big part of it and 
you know, they, they demanded a lot out of me and, and I respected the heck out of both of them. And to see that emotion from them when I got traded, that that's something that that's another thing that, that, that'll stay with me for, for, um, forever, really. Oh man, I can hear it in your voice, how much that really meant to you. Yeah. You know, back on this season, things really start to turn south for the lightning. You know, we're halfway through the season. At one point you guys would go one and 12. I know you talked about that. You couldn't keep up the energy. What caused the wheels to kind of fall off? What, where were the issues that were taking place? You know, once, like you said, once the emotion starts to wear off and, and now you're into the, the heart of the season and, you know, the grind of the season, you know, it, it, things just were a young team and an old team and, you know, probably not the most talented team that, 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 that there was. So, you know, if you lose, if you slip a little bit with your energy, you know, the good teams are going to take advantage of that. And that's kind of what happened. I mean, I don't know how it, it, it was 12 in a row. I believe we won one game in there somewhere. I know that, but other than that, I mean, it, it, that was, that, that, that was pretty much the season right there. And that, that's, that was tough. And we regrouped after that. I, I remember we fought back, but you know, we had you, you, at that time, you couldn't have those extended losing streaks and, and think that you're going to be close to being, you know, a playoff team at that, at that point, you know, unfortunately it, 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 it just, the losing kind of built on itself. And then to try to get out of it was, it was a difficult thing to do at that time. Well, you guys are playing in the Norris, so you're also flying all the way across the country. Did the travel impact you guys where your body towards this part of the season is maybe starting to get worn down and exhausted just from the jet lag? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the travel was the travel sucked. It really did. I mean, that that, that was the hard part. Yeah. I think you guys had like one streak where you had nine games on the road in a row or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I remember we uh, – yeah, that was part of the losing streak. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. I don't know where we started. We might have started in Boston and, you know, went through, I can't remember the team, Chicago. And then we were out west in Edmonton and Vancouver yep. and yep. in Minnesota or something. And then I think Toronto was in there too. And a bunch of teams, but, but flying everywhere. And every other night you're, you're in a different city in a different time zone. I mean, that, that was, I remember that. I remember just to travel and you were flying commercial at the time, which, you know, like I said, you got to sit in an airport, you got to wait, you got to, you got to wait till the next day before you travel. And it, it was tough. I mean, that, that's the, I remember that the difficulty of that travel. February 26th rolls around and, and you're injured again and missed several games due to that injured ankle. I think when you uh, fought Dennis Vial, but you know, one of the things that I noticed was there were only 12 people from this team of the 21 that were drafted in the expansion draft, how much did the yeah. moving parts impact this team and chemistry? It seemed like by the time you got a good group of guys together, someone else was shipped out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I remember that. That, that was frustrating, but I, I don't think any of us thought it was unexpected just because of our record. And, and, you know, they're trying to develop a team here and, and, and try to find something that, that, they can build and and I think everybody kind of knew where we were like nobody was really too secure in Tampa at that time regardless of who you were I mean you're better off renting than buying I I, I think it was kind of the, the motto back then for a lot of us <laughs> I mean that impacted you as well oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah 
you know, a lot of good guys. That, like, like I said, like we started something together, and then all of a sudden, guys are just moving out and new guys coming in, and so then it just became that became a little bit difficult as far as you know building team chemistry and you know wanting to to have the same group that you can at least have a fighting chance with, where as opposed to having new new people in the locker room all the time trying to figure out where you fit and where they fit. And that's hard to that's hard to do. I can imagine. On March 20th, another trade happens, and Rob Ramage is traded to the Montreal Canadiens. How hard is that when Rammer leaves the room? I would definitely think there's a void left when a guy like him, with all the experience, is traded. Yeah, Rammer's, you know, he he was the veteran guy that, that had a strong voice and, you know, a really strong presence. But good for Rammer at that time. I, I, I remember, you know, he, he had an opportunity to go somewhere else and continue his career and, and but I know that he liked Tampa, so it was hard for him to leave. Yeah, that that was one guy that I I, I certainly missed, and I was like, we were all like, you know, this sucks. That that, <laughs> that, 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 that that a guy like that that you know you grow to respect even more than playing against him when he's your teammate. You you realize why he's he's one of the one of the good guys in the game. You come back. And in mid-March, and we're getting towards the end of the season, your first game back, you get beat by Toronto 8-2. to But one team that you end up playing is the Winnipeg Jets, and you lose to them first 1-3, to but towards the last final games, I believe you had beating them in Ottawa your last two wins of the season. How hot was this Winnipeg Jets team? You had Solani, you had Keith Kachuk, you had so many good players. Yeah, talented team. You know, you play them in Winnipeg, especially with the good ice. Like At that time, Winnipeg was known for... You know, they're a fast team. You know, Timo was, was at the height of his game, and, and Keith was, you know, established as a power forward. And they had Teppo Newman, and they had, they had a lot of guys, a lot of good players. And, yeah, we went in and we beat them. And, I mean, I remember that. That was a special time. That it, We knew that we were out of the playoffs, but, you know, and they, maybe they, they see Tampa coming in there, they take us for granted a little bit. You know, so, you know, then we beat St. Louis, too. I don't know if it was the next night or two nights later to, to finish off the season on a good note, which was, uh, but no, we lost it. Sorry, we lost the last game of the year. I think we lost to, to St. Louis. I believe so. But, I believe it was a loss to St. Louis, yes. Yeah, yeah, we lost the last game of the year. Yeah, that's right. Five to six, it was uh, a heartbreaker because you guys were yeah, right there. Yeah. But April 15th rolls around, the season's over. You've just finished your first, really, I mean, I know you played on the island you played probably 40 or 50 games, but you are an NHL regular now. What were your final thoughts after you wrapped up your first season in Tampa? Yeah, excitement, you know. like uh, I remember looking forward to the next year and, and seeing what we were going to do over the summer and, and, you know, what kind of team we are going to have. And, you know, it was a good first step for, for the organization and for the franchise. And, you know, I know personally I wanted to stay being a part of it because, you know, I really, really enjoyed my time there. And um, it was it was something that that I think a lot of us you know a lot of the younger guys hoped that that, that we could continue on and kind of stay together and and grow the thing the the way that you know the 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 ownership wanted it. I think my favorite part of these interviews so far has been hearing from players and hearing about relationships that they've had and, and people that were special in their lives. And the one thing I took away from this interview, and don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the stories. I definitely enjoyed hearing about the LA Forum. I enjoyed hearing about Chris Contos, different players, different tough guys. 
But what I really liked hearing about was his relationship with Wayne Cashman and how Wayne Cashman called and, and teared up a little bit that he had to trade Rob. And I just think it's kind of neat to hear the relationship that those guys had. And Wayne Cashman, for newer fans that are listening to this that might not know who he is, was a hockey legend in the 70s for the Boston Bruins. So I'm sure for Rob, it was really special. I'm sure Rob watched him play and then to kind of be coached by him. And, and you could tell from his voice that him calling was a really special moment for him. And while he was sad to be traded. I still think it meant a lot that Wayne talked to him and, and, and pulled him into his office to let him know that he had been traded and then cried and teared up. And it, it was a special moment for him. So I'm really glad that Rob shared that. And I can't thank him enough. I know I kind of cut it off before we talked about what he's up to now. He's a scout with the St. Louis Blues organization in the province of Ontario. Hopefully we'll have him come back on. I actually swapped some texts with him earlier this week and he said he would definitely like to do it again. He said he had a good time and hopefully we can connect and make our schedules work. Speaking of interviews, I recorded one last night. We'll probably release that one in a couple weeks. I've got a good one lined up for Monday. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So in the meantime, enjoy your weekends. Watch plenty of hockey. Don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter for more random snapshots. And also please tell a friend, share on social media, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. 